Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Haskincast podcast. I am very excited today to bring you my friend Jojo Draven. Jojo is a fantastic guitarist and film composer, and uh, we're going to talk to her about her time with the Blue Man Group, as well as the set list when she performed on tour with Chris Angel, and some of her films. We're also going to be playing you some music from her uh, different films that she sent over to us. And uh, each piece is is just a treat, especially as a film composer, where you get to sort of dissect what she's done a little bit. And uh, she's one of those people that I I really enjoy listening to her work, whether it's with or without the film. Uh, And seeing her play live is a whole nother thing. So uh, we're going to be talking to her and playing some tracks from her. Uh, Very excited about that. In the meantime, we are creeping up on Christmas. Hard to believe that. Uh, You know, growing up in in a place like Michigan where it used to snow every year, sometimes it would snow before Halloween, sometimes it would snow after Halloween, but which is what we always hoped for because we were, you know, we didn't want anything to ruin our trick-or-treating. But you know, it's weird living out in the desert now because it never quite feels like Christmas, at least what my memories of Christmas are. So I think I talked about that a little bit on the episode I did where I talked about my mental sauna Christmas inflections album. But yeah, even now as we get closer to it, I kind of feel even more so that it it does and it doesn't all at the same time. It's also too bright. That just dawned on me. When you live in a place where it's overcast and there's snow on the ground, it's kind of dim and gray. And here, you know, living in the desert with the palm trees and the, you know, the blue skies and everything, even if it was overcast, it would still be too bright to be Christmas. Uh, anyway, just some observation from, from me for people who used to live back in the East Coast. And I guess even now in some areas of the East Coast, it's not quite what it was. I know in Michigan, the snow, there's actually plenty of times where you can see the grass during the year now where I grew up. So it's quite different uh, even there now. So there really is no going back home. And that's okay, because I really don't like to travel. So this first piece of music that I'm going to play uh, is from the 2017 Shriekfest teaser trailer. And JoJo did the music for that. It's quite perfect. Uh, I'll put the link to the video in the show notes, but I can honestly say that the, the music matches the video very well. But for now, just enjoy the music on its own and then watch it with the video afterwards. And here it is.
And that was the music from the Shriekfest 2017 trailer written by Jojo Draven, who we're going to bring on the show now. Jojo, welcome to the Haskin Cast podcast. How are you today? Hey, Scott. I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate you hanging in there with the different scheduling issues and everything that we've had trying to get this together. But I'm definitely grateful that you were able to make some time. So thank you very much. Thank you. This will this, this be fun. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Uh, let's start with the music that I just played and talk about that a little bit. The Shriekfest 2007 trailer music. I really, I really love this because it's just got such a, a nice, pulsing, creepy build to it. But it's not in your face like a lot of trailer music is. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't drive it. It just moves it along very nicely. Was that your strategy going in, or did you want some shock value in there? Um, well, the, the the way that trailer came about is that Denise, the director of um, Street Fest um, last year, 2017, she um, was looking for somebody to uh, make the music for the trailer. And the way the trailer works is that it it's a bunch of their finalists, semi-finalists, um, filmmakers. You know, they submitted their, their films, and the, the semi-finalists and the finalists, they you know they get included in the trailer. So, um, and then they, supposedly they were going to give me the finished edited trailer to me so I can put music to it. Mm -hmm. But as it turned out, I didn't get that. Oh. And I only had a certain amount of time to create the music. So I started creating the music thinking, okay, there's, I know there's not going to be any narration in the trailer and that the trailer will have to build and the music will have to carry, um, the trailer along and bring it to the end. And since I have experience in uh, trailer editing and everything, um, I know how an editor would think and how they would want to build a trailer and how they would want the music to help the, the trailer along. So the, with that in mind, I created music blindly with uh, no no vision at all. There's no there's no video. So to speak. And uh, uh, at the very last minute, I got the video, so I was able to put the music to the video and adjust some of the some of the build up, you know, some of the sections, the first section, the middle section, and then the climax section. So, with that in mind, that's that's how the music came about. Because I just, you know, okay, start with um, like a mellow, creepy music, and then it builds slowly from there. Sure, but without knowing how long the video was going to be, that must have been a challenge to figure out how long you wanted each section to go. Right, exactly. So um, I think a trailer usually is you know, one minute to you know three minutes, which you know for a trailer, three minutes is a little long. But in right. this case, because it, you know they showcase you know they showcase finalists, semi-finalist um, uh, clips. I knew that it was probably going to be on the long side. Mm -hmm. So I just created a certain section that way, and then I adjusted accordingly when I got the video. Right. And it, and then you were able to add those end shots in with the titles, because those, those you nailed like perfectly on time. Right, right, right. See, it, actually, it, it, is, it is kind of fun in a way. You know, after, after the creation process is completed, then when you get the picture, it's almost like music editing. But at the same time, you have you have to spend so you can adjust. Okay, the drums you want to go this way. You want to go from you know 
four, four times signature to, okay, now it's seven, eight, because that's how it will fit the picture. So, right. you know, it's, it's the fun part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The creation part is the harder, the harder part, because then you have to think about, okay, where do I start? <laughs> what, yeah. You know, how do I want this to sound, you know? So, but that was fun, that, that trailer. Yeah, and, and it came out great. We're going to have the link posted in the show notes so that people can see the, the visual with it as well after hearing the audio. Because I, I always think that's kind of fun. You hear the audio, you know there's a visual to it, but to just appreciate the audio on its own and then to see how it was synced up to, to the video action is, is kind of a, a nice progression. But do you, do you do what I do when you get a new film to work on and you watch the film and when you're with the director, or you're doing the spotting session, you're thinking, okay, yeah, I, I've got some ideas, I feel pretty good. And then you get home and you watch the film and go, I don't know what to do with this. I've lost all my ideas. Like, I just, I, they shouldn't have hired me for this. Yeah, that, that happens quite a few times. <laughs> um, you just have to, you just have to just not be attached to your own ideas and, and you have to adjust with your, you know, your own mind real quickly. So you're yeah. like, okay, I'm, I'm open to this. Okay, I hear something different now that I see right. the picture, mm-hmm. you know, and you just have to just let go of all the other, you know, music that you, you thought you had in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to start from scratch. Yeah. Well, the first thing is dropping our ego, right? So that we're not like, nope, the idea I had was right, and that's all there is to it. Like, if your idea has changed, if you've developed something better, or you feel the film differently after seeing it three or four times, we have to be able to let go and, and realize that what's most important is the final product. And it's not about what we think is best. It's what we feel right now, what we're going to write with. You know, uh, when you're choosing your colors yeah, yeah. And, and all that, that's what matters in that moment. Um, do, do you find that you can pretty much let go of an idea if you find something better, or do you kind of hold that idea back for maybe another project? I I usually just I I don't ever get too attached because even when you think that you nailed a scene and you think it it's good, when you show it to the director or producer, they can totally scrap it, mm-hmm. you know, just completely, and you will have to not not be attached. You just can't because then you have to start over. You know, you can't even salvage. Oh, I want to salvage that part, or you know, right. or just just uh, the you know maybe the violin track I'll keep, but everything else has to change. You know, no. Sometimes you just have to grab it all and you know start again. That makes the spotting sessions, uh, the second spotting session with the director much easier if you're able to just say, okay, here's what I created. What do you think? You like this? You don't like that? Okay, I'll go back and do something else versus, but but I love that piece. I spent two days on that. You know, if you can really be unattached. Yeah, that's... Ne- never say that to a producer or a director. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you will not be called back. For no, no, not at all. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I really like that piece. I think it, it fit well. And let's go ahead and play uh, another piece. Now, this piece is uh, another trailer, and this is for The Three Bears and the Perfect Gift. What can you tell us about this one? Okay, so this, this film um, this film was shot in 2018, so just, uh, just a few months ago. And, they, you know, they want it turn around real, real quickly because they want to make the, the, the film, you know, gain a lot of interest for Christmas release because it's a Christmas movie, it's a family film. And this is actually my first family film that that I scored um, because uh, for the past, you know, 
many many years as as you know score horror movies mainly. Mm-hmm. So this was a great challenge for me, and and and, and you know it was a lot of fun. The project was a lot of fun. I I you know I loved doing the project, and when the trailer came about, they wanted they wanted a you know. They, they want it finished really fast because they wanted to get it out there to make the sale. Mm-hmm. So I only had a very short amount of time to do this. I think I do this in, 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 in one day. Wow. It's very well layered. It has a, a really nice warmth to it. It's it's not over the top intricate. It, it intricate. It just moves along very nicely. So that's a, that's a great piece to come out with in that short of a time frame. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Usually. Usually, I would have an idea floating around in my head. Okay, I want the I want the melody to go this way, to go this way. But this one, I just have to, you know, I sit down and I start hearing things. You know, I see the pictures a few times and I, and I start hearing, and I'm like, I just have to dive in and do it really fast, you know. And and then I think the the following day I was able to mix it and then and then actually send it along. And luckily, the director really really loved it, and uh, you know. And I thought, well, they will cut a, a new trailer. So this was just a teaser. This is a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that maybe there's there will be another another trailer that I would have to you know put music to. So, right. I, so I, I finished this real real quick, and luckily they're they're happy with it. And I use you know more 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 of a you know a lot of a lot of different instrumentation, you know, for orchestra and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun. It's definitely a, a departure from you know writing a, a trailer music for for a whole film. Well, let's go ahead and play that piece so everyone can hear it right now. Okay, so that was the Three Bears and the Perfect Gift teaser trailer by Jojo Draven, who is our guest today. And uh, now, since you normally work on uh, a lot more dark and horror music, uh, especially given the time constraint you had on this one, was it a challenge to find the kind of tone and and, uh, sounds that you wanted to create this, or did you still have that kind of readily available? Well, believe it or not, I don't know. To me, working on the score for this film came way more naturally than than working on a horror film. Really? <laughs> it's funny to say because for years I worked on horror films, but I'm you know I'm classically trained. I'm, I have a, a background in classical music because I started on on classical piano. So maybe that is the reason why this came you know, rather naturally to me to compose you know 
music for, for this film because it's, it ta- you know taps into my 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 classical background you know it's a you know as as we know cl- you know classical music is very very melodically very complex and sure and it's I don't know I just I just had a, a lot of fun with with, with this one it's very very fun to to put the flute and the, the you know and xylophones, the, you know, vibraphones, you know, and just including all these, you know, classical instruments, you know. And and to have a piece of music where you don't have to use like a water harp or a bowed cymbal or, or something to, to kind of bring out some darkness must have been a nice change of pace too. Right, right, exactly. You know, I used I use I use the the usual the the usual uh, strings and you know um, woodwinds and you know a little bit of brass and the orchestration. So that that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and and it's mixed very nicely too. Did you do the mix on that? I do, I do. I I in the word of uh, George Copeland, I like to quote him. He always says <laughs> he he hires the uh, the cheapest uh, sound mixer in the world. My God, to himself. <laughs> <laughs> No, with with well, you know with this with this this these kinds of project usually I you know, I don't have very much time and it to it to involve somebody else to you know do the mix with anything like you know anything like that it it, it, it sometimes it's more complicated yeah and uh, you know I've tried I've tried to work with other people before and um, a lot of times it, it it doesn't really work out very well because you know. The, uh, usually, the other person's either you know, become you know, becomes a plate or um, just uh, does not deliver on time and and things like that. I just you know, I, I haven't found the right team for me. So that uh, I'm with you. So, you know, that's a challenge to put together a team. It's a it's a, it's a big challenge. Well, it, that's that's something I have a real issue with because it shouldn't be. If people are, they're honest and they're good at communication, it should never be a problem, but it seems to be. I've tried to work with uh, a lot of different people on collaborations and everybody's really excited when you're first talking about it. Oh, you know, thank you for thinking of me and I'm so honored. But they don't deliver. They don't communicate if they can't meet a deadline. And sometimes they just disappear or forget about it altogether. And I find collaboration to be a very frustrating thing. And I, I wish we could go back to the days of friends that just helped each other out because they cared and they were, you know, uh, respected the project or respected the time frames. And I, I just think it's a shame that, uh, but you can't even get people to help you move without buying them dinner and, and beer and whatever, you know, like, it's like nobody just does anything out of decency anymore. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely true. So yeah, I don't blame you. But the mix came out great. You did you did a fine job on that. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you kind of a little bit. I, and we're going to come back to some of your film stuff in a bit. But you also have a lot of stage experience. You're a fantastic guitarist. I've gotten to see you perform in a couple of different venues, and it seems like no matter what you're doing, you play with passion. You're not playing the notes. You're playing the song. Like I can really feel the notes. 
And that's something that I don't hear from a lot of guitar players anymore. What do you think is, is the difference in, is it that people kind of are just playing the notes they're supposed to play and they don't know how to feel it or they're afraid to, or they just think it's not what people want to hear? Well, thank you for the kind words, first of all. Sure. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to hear, but um, I, I really don't know. I, I can't speak for other people, but um, to me, I try to get in the zone. You know, I know it sounds very cliche, but but when I play, I if I if I if I'm not in the zone, I wouldn't be able to concentrate too much, and then I will lose that feeling of you know why I'm playing these notes to begin with. You know, sure. And uh, um, I, I I take everything I do to heart, and maybe to a flaw. <laughs> but uh, um, it's I don't know. I I think it's part of playing. You know, playing live is 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 not easy for for you know for me at least. I, you know, I know I, I I speak for myself, but you know, there's you you know you have to really really think about what I, I have to have I have to really think about what I do. Like, you know. I uh I can't be in a bad mood and try to play. Oh really? Okay. You know, or yeah. You know, because cause then it, 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 it would come out differently for sure, you know, but uh um I don't know. I I I don't know how to, I don't know if I can really answer that one. That's that's interesting because you always seem so confident. I mean, no matter what kind of venue I've seen you perform in or I've seen video of, it, you just always seem like you're in your zone, you're doing your thing, and it's it's very relaxed. It, it almost it, I don't want to say it looks that you make it look easy, but you certainly don't make it look tough. You know, it it doesn't look like you're straining oh, to do what you do. It just seems like you're just doing it in in your zone very naturally and organically. And uh, and that's a joy. But do you do you get nervous uh, still in front of crowds? No, I don't actually. That that's the one thing that I don't I don't I don't get to be. I don't get I don't I don't get nervous. Mm-hmm. I just uh, yeah I don't know. I guess I, I did really well. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I just saw you. What was it? Uh, a week, uh, like uh, a week ago, Friday, playing with uh, a band called The Set List. And every quarter or so, you guys come out and you do a, a different classic album. And uh, you guys have done some fun stuff. But now you're doing these Battle of the Bands kind of things, where you're playing songs from two different bands and having the audience vote on which one's better. Uh, can't really say I understand that personally. I, I thought the whole thing was a little bit weird, but. Uh, what came out of it was some incredible music, a lot of great performers, uh, some really incredible singers. But what I loved the most about it was the unity. You know, you and Vincent on drums just seemed very much in sync with each other. Uh, the singers just supporting each other and, and everybody kind of jumping in and singing backups on the different songs, uh, the, the difference of arrangements, everything. It was just a good time. Is that something that, do you guys really rehearse that a lot? Or is it something that you just kind of say, hey, we're all professionals. Here's how we're going to do it. Rehearse once or twice and then go do the show. Yeah, and we actually don't rehearse except for maybe one, once or twice. But that's it. And some of the singers, they don't even come to rehearse sometimes. Wow. They just show up on stage and they just, they just sing with us. But as far as me and Vincent, you know, we've known each other for a long time. You know, we played together in Blue Man for a number of years. And, mm-hmm. and you know, with, with other Blue Man musicians, 
you know, I just get so in sync with them that we don't even say anything to each other on time, you know, most of the time, and we just kind of hear each other or just look at each other, and we, we're all in sync with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it's it's a joy to, to play with with, uh, with those people. So um, that, that you know, that helps a lot when you play in a band and you're, you're in sync with each other. It, it makes it so much easier, you know? So how does it come off so good if you guys don't really get to rehearse? I mean, I understand the the sort of camaraderie between you and Vince, and it's it's very apparent because I saw you guys in Blue Man as well, and it was the same thing. But when you have people that don't show up to the the rehearsal, and I mean, I mean with a cast of that many, I don't know how everyone would, but it, it just comes off so flawless. Like even when the arrangements are different, people just know where to be. It's all about preparation. You know, each individual you know, has to prepare very well and they have to come in prepared because there's nobody is, um, you know, if, if one person is not prepared, especially the person, you know, playing the band, that would cripple the, the whole project, you know. But if, if everybody comes in prepared, they know their part and then we can just talk about arrangement and boom, you know, things would come together very easily. Right. You know, I mean, everybody is a, you know, everybody's a professional. Everybody's very well qualified musicians, and everybody's easy to work with. And that, I think, that's key to projects like this. You know, you you come in, you know your part, you're well prepared, and then you just play together, and it's a very highly enjoyable experience that way. You know, nothing is worse than coming into a situation like that, and then. One person's not prepared, or one person doesn't know their part, and mm-hmm. or the other person has a big ego and they're louder than everybody else. That that that's not that's not a good that's not a good fun. That's sure. not that's not very enjoyable to play with somebody like that. Well, and and I have to say, enough for the people that obviously don't live here and haven't seen it. All the people that are in this this band are people that are either currently performing or have previously performed in some of the shows around Vegas. So they're very used to the the high level of expectancy and the professionalism that's required to do these kind of things. So you're you're working with people that are of that caliber, but it more importantly to me, it seemed like. Everyone was just having fun up there. Like it wasn't. It wasn't really a battle of the bands. It wasn't a competition at all. There was a little bit of playful banter, but it was really more like it was a bunch of friends playing some songs that they enjoyed, just having a good time. And I think that's the key to what really makes something like that work. Because if if people are coming up and they're kind of like you know have a grumpy look on their face, or they're you know they just stand there and sing their part and they walk away and don't interact with everyone else, it, that really comes off as forced to the audience, where this was just, it was like you guys were having a party and we were just watching. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, that's the, the genius that Andy Wright is. Uh, he's the one that put these things together. And, you know, it, it, he, as he calls it, it's part concert, part rose mm-hmm. at the same time. You know, everybody, everybody, you know, most everybody on stage know each other from, you know, being, you know, professional working musicians and actors around town and uh, you know their banters on stage there aren't really real you know they're just roasting each other you know it's all done in good fun you know yeah so uh, but it that's I guess it is it, that's what it's about I mean you know you put a show together it's about entertaining people mm-hmm. you know people want to come and see the show and have fun 
you know, and I think I think those shows, you know, work well. Yeah, in that capacity. I would definitely agree. And, and I think about bands like, uh, you know, I saw Michael Schenker uh, at the House of Blues earlier this year, and it, he had brought all the singers that he had had in the band back. And they were like one singer, whoever was singing that song in the studio, would come up and sing, and then the other guys would walk out and back him up, and then a different singer would come out for a different song, and everybody would come out and back him up. But what was great about the show was not just seeing all the original singers, it was that they really supported each other. It wasn't, well, you were in the band when I should have been. And there was, there didn't feel like any kind of conflict. It was everybody wanted to be there and to back each other up. And it was just a good time. And that comes off so much better than, you know, remember a friend of mine went and saw Queensryche on, on a tour, I think two tours after Operation Mindcrime. And he said they wouldn't even look at each other or acknowledge each other on stage. I think when you have that kind of camaraderie, the audience feels that, and it just makes the show 10 times better. The music is going to be good. That's probably going to happen. But that kind of show, that's the difference between it being a, a, you know, something you go see and an actual show is that kind of thing. Even though that you're isolated on one side of the stage as a guitar player, and sometimes people would come over and interact with you, do you feel like you're a part of the whole thing? Or do you just say, I, I, this is my role and I'm on my part of the stage doing what I do? Well, actually, for, for me, you know, the, um, the fun lies in, you know, being able to make the connection with all these other people that, you know, you're performing with. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how you can create you know, good performance and, you know, you produce good music on stage and people can hear that, you know, but what you do together, you, you're doing it together with all these other people. I mean, it, as a, you know, play, playing in a band, you if, if you only care about what you do, that, you know, it's fine and everything, it probably works just, you know, as well, but at the same time, it's kind of not what playing a band is about. When you right. play in a band, you have to hear everybody else. Because mm-hmm. you already spend a lot of time, you know, preparing your part. So you know what you sound like. When you play on stage, you have to listen to everybody else. Right. You know, right. just put, put your own sound in the back of your mind. It's there. You know it's there. You play it under your fingers. But part of the fun is to listen to okay now now here's the trumpet coming here's the bass part or let's listen to the singer right now you know that's you know and then and then you make eye contact with the people that you play with on stage and you know and then of course the hang before and after it's always fun but right that yeah that's how these things are fun for me I think you're right, though. I think that, you know, you may be able to get away with just focusing on yourself, but I think that that's really only going to last in a band for so long. When you come back from from the tour and you go back to writing the next album, uh, if you're only thinking about yourself, you can't really write with everyone else. And I I think that uh, it's probably going to bite the dust fairly soon after that if you don't have that camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so I was trying to think last night of exactly how it what came about that you and I met. And I remember, uh, I think it was when I was living in LA and I came, I think somebody had posted something or commented on a post of yours. And I thought, oh, that sounds like an interesting project. And I followed it to your SoundCloud link. And, and I really liked the music that I heard. And if I remember right, that would have been uh, the uh, the movie Real Evil, R E E L Evil. Is that would that be possible? Um, could be yes. Uh, it could be. Wow, that's a while back now. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Right. And then you and I met. And then, of course, you know, once I moved to Vegas, we had connected in person uh, when I came to see you guys at, at Blue Man Group. Um, but the first film that I saw you score was Patient 7. And I absolutely love the score that you did for this because there weren't a lot of parts that were really designed for shock value. It was really more a score that moved the film along. And I really like that. You have this beautiful way of, of just creating these melodic rhythms that just keep the thing moving forward. And I, I really love that about your style. Is that something that just kind of comes natural to you or that you fell into doing? I think so. I think I, I, I love, I love percussion anything. I love, I just, that, that's my, my favorite thing is, mm-hmm. is, is percussion. It's everything rhythmic, everything percussive, everything rhythmic, I love. Uh, I think it might be because I grew up in a place like Indonesia where there's a lot of, you know, street instruments or just people banging on, on, you know, anything they can bang on just to create sound, mm-hmm. you know? And I love that, you know, I love that. I, I love that aspect of music, just, you know, create rhythm, just banging on anything. I used to, I used to do that in, in school, in high school. People used to look at me like, can you be quiet? Because <laughs> I'd be banging on the table or something, you know, making a rhythm. Right. Um, I, I, I've always loved that. That's why one of my favorite, favorite genre of music is industrial music. I just love that. You know, a lot of, I, I listen to a lot of German bands, you know, industrial German bands that, you know, I, I, I love I love the, the you know percussive part of it. Everything is very rhythmic and mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, that's that's I love that. And that's why when when I score more films, I, I I want to score. What I really want to score is an action film, so I can I can do even more of that. You know, mm-hmm. rhythmic stuff. You know, but uh, yeah, that's I I guess you could say it comes naturally to me. You know. I just love that stuff. Well, that makes sense. If if you were surrounded by that growing up, that that would be part of what's ingrained to you as a musician. Uh, I I think it's fascinating, and, and I may also have spent a number of hours being escorted to the principal's office for using my craft on the school desk, or <laughs> you know, not realizing I was yeah. tapping my foot uh, on the tile floor and disrupting class. I, I'm not going to say that didn't happen. Uh, but you got to, to work with uh, Michael Ironside on this, and he's he's just got that kind of voice that I almost want to sample him and make him an instrument in and of himself because he's just got that real you know deep deep thick voice, and he talks so patiently. Uh, do you do you find as a composer that when you're working with talented actors, it makes your job easier, or is it pretty irrelevant to you? Oh, it, it definitely helps with. Uh, um you know, good good actors. It uh, um, it makes it it makes it easy for sure. <laughs> but um, because you know, it's not distracting. You know, when 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 somebody on screen and it's you know, you know they're not very good actors. It's it's a little bit distracting sometimes. You know. Yeah. But um, uh, I try not to let that get to me too much. But as far as you know, Michael Ironside, he's such a great, great, great. Just the such a great actor. I mean, it's, he's just so good, and and uh, it's almost it almost makes me nervous scoring his scenes, you know, because I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta, I gotta do this really well because <laughs> I don't want to 
I, I don't want to be the one who botched the scene, you know. It's like, right. oh my gosh, Michael Ironside is so great, but the music doesn't work in that. <laughs> that that would be my worst nightmare. Yeah. You know? Sure, but but I think I think that's it, and I I don't know if a lot of people realize the the actual responsibility of a film composer is not just about writing the music. It's you know where do you need to carry the scene? Where do you need to back off a little bit because the actor is doing such a good job, and you don't really need to overemphasize what their emotion or their point is. I mean, it's it's really a, a much bigger challenge than just writing music that fits a film or or. You know, if the director likes industrial music, just giving him industrial music. There's so much more involved. Yeah, definitely. Because um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, with, you know, the trouble with, you know, some of the early movies I, I worked on. You know, some of them were, you know, kind of on the lower budget, you know, area where um, a lot of times they want wall-to-wall music to the movie. You know, and sometimes you you look at it and say, "Well, it doesn't really work. It's too much, too much music." But they they need that that wall to wall music to um, you know, to carry the movie along, so to speak. But the biggest challenge with you know composers, I think, is to score, to not score the scene, mm-hmm. and to know when to do that. Yes. You know. Yes. That that that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah, you have to know when to breathe. And what you don't do is equally as important as what you do. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's take a listen to a piece from there called The Invisible... Oh, I'm sorry, that's not the one. Let's... <laughs> if I look at my notes properly, let's uh, take a look at a piece... Uh, a listen, I should say, to a piece from Patient 7. This is uh, a, an exposition scene with Michael Ironside. And this is kind of the, the music that I was talking about, where you've got this nice hypnotic percussive thing going. You've got a little bit of high-pitched plucking in there that just kind of keeps that element of suspense and some piano. Uh, it's just got such a, a nice flow to it. I, I, this is the kind of stuff that when I think of your name and I think about your music, this is what I associate it with.
Okay, so that was the exposition scene. Uh, was that one of the ones that do you do you recall anything specific about that? Uh, is there any uh, any anecdote or anything on that one? Oh, well, without without giving away too much of the, the scene, I think this is the, the the turning the turning point of the the movie, if I remember it correctly. But um, yeah, I mean. I can't really talk too much about it. That you know, if, if, if somebody has not seen the movie yet, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin sure. the movie for them. But right. uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think I think it's one of the scenes where you know his character talks, um, you know, and you don't want to put too much music underneath. But at the same time, you want to you want to you know underline his emotion at the same time. You know, and then producers want you know a certain type of of, 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 you know, color, so to speak, and, you know, and that, that's, I think that's how that scene came about, that the music came about. It's, um, yeah, I mean, you don't want to overpower what, 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 you know, what he's talking about and mm-hmm. kind of have to stay in the background at the same time, but, but still keep it exciting because something exciting was happening, sure. you know, and, and things that he said, so. Um, that was one of one of I think one of my favorite cues in, in the movie. Yeah, it it was it was a, definitely at a good spot, and I really like this piece. Do you uh, now with this one? Um, did you get a chance to go on the set and and see things in the room and kind of feel the energy of the room, or do you like to just get the film and do your thing? I you know I think at the, at the time I was in uh, you know when the movie was shot I was uh, deep in another project so I wasn't able to. Uh, you know, see the you know the the set and everything. But uh, I you know I tune in every day during during the during the shoot. So I, I you know I was able to get the feel of what 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 it's like being there. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so when I when I created when I created the score, I already had you know. Um, my own imagination was already going. So, um, and then you know, from watching Ironside from various different movies, you know, I know his style of acting, if, if I can say that. Uh-huh. You know, so it's uh, yeah, it's a combination of of those things in in my head. You know, that that helped me with creating the score. Absolutely. And uh, do do you now? This one was shot uh, very fast. Your husband directed it, and did what he say? It was uh, ten days or two weeks. Um, he he did not have that luxury in this movie. He was given four days to shoot the movie. Four days. Yeah, I knew it was something ridiculous. Four days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Four four days. I think I think originally he. He thought he was going to shoot it in, in six days, and then he was he was given four days, and I think I'm not sure if they compromised and it became five days, but I know it was something short like that. I know it's not more than five days. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. And he did yeah. a great job with it because I think the film is fantastic. It looks great. It 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 doesn't seem to be lacking anything, and to have to you know for the actors to have to shoot that fast for location, wardrobe, all that to come together. That's that's somebody really buckling down and just making it happen. Yeah, and I, I just I heard it's very stressful, but <laughs> yeah. but uh, as with every movie, it doesn't matter how, how you know 
you know, even if you have two weeks, it'll still be stressful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but cramming it into that amount of time is just, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. Did you have, uh, as a guitar player, did you have any specific guitarists that were really inspirational to you or that you learned from or was it just kind of whatever you heard you you kind of put your ear to um are you um talking about guitar influences guitarists yes guitar players influences? Mm-hmm. um well you know as a kid i listened to all these things i was supposed to listen to you know including stealing you know my older brother's tapes and and cds and you know, sneaking out of, 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 of his room, borrowing his, you know, CDs that I wasn't supposed to listen to. And, uh, but, uh, as, as, as a kid, you know, some, some of these, some of these musicians actually scared me. I mean, I remember being scared of, 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 you know, seeing the poster of Duran Duran because I thought they were scary. You know, uh-huh. and they were one of my early influences. You know, Duran Duran and Iron Maiden. A lot of, a lot of these uh, British that I love so much, mm-hmm. and uh, these guitarists and these bands. They influenced me a lot. Was that kind of music taboo in in Indonesia? Definitely, yes. I mean, and, and it's unheard of for a for a girl to want to listen to that stuff. Uh-huh. You know, I. Did not know, you know, another girl that would be interested in that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I pretty much the only one. <laughs> um, well, sometimes that kind of isolating can be can be good because then you can just get on and and learn it and not be distracted by other things. But at the same point, it probably feels kind of lonely because you don't have anyone to play with or talk to about it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, trying to talk to a- another boy, it's uh, you know about that stuff. You, you, they don't. They wouldn't give you time of day. You know, they. You know they. They don't want to talk to you about that. They want to talk to another boy mm, <laughs> about right. about Iron Maiden. They don't want to talk to, <laughs> to a little girl about that. You know. Well, yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit because we talked about that before the show, and uh, and this this question had been sparked by a post that you had made. Uh, about somebody who didn't take you seriously as a guitarist because you're, you know, obviously a very beautiful woman. And why would you be able to play guitar? Because you're beautiful, right? You're just supposed to sit there and try on outfits and do different makeup styles and things. Why is it that, that women aren't taken as seriously as musicians or, or a lot of them kind of have to use sexuality to get their foot in the door? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I never really... You know, when I started in the music business, I never thought about it that way. I would just think, I don't, I don't think of ability as, as gender based. You know, ability is ability. Whatever it is that you can do and you can do well, you should do it and nothing should stop you from doing it, you know. And uh, including naysayers, you, you can, you could, you know, you should, you should always have the attitude of that your ability to do something well will speak for itself. So I think I, I've always kept it, you know, irrelevant where if somebody does not support me based on whatever it is that they think their opinion should be based, you know, I, I never would let that stop me. Good. And I would just always think that, you know, people should 
should be able to judge based on you know what they see, what they what they see, what I'm able to do. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. I just I find it difficult to. I guess to understand why it started in the first place, but more so why it still exists today. I mean, we're about to head into 2019 and we still have people thinking things like, well, you're a pretty girl, you can't play guitar. And that just, they're, they're not even related. I mean, in, in the industry where it matters would be if you're an actor and you're playing a role where you're pregnant or you're, you know, something like that, that a guy obviously cannot do or vice versa then it kind of makes sense. And when you're telling the story, you have certain people that represent life that portray that. But when it comes to music or, or any of the other arts, whether you're a painter or a novelist, it just seems to me like that shouldn't even be a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really think, you know, no matter what, um, for as long as uh, we exist, I think there will always be that type of, um, discrimination, you know, I don't, it's, it's, I don't know, I think it's just the way that the, the human mind is designed to do, I don't know, I'm not really, I don't really spend too much time thinking, thinking about it, but, you know, I don't know, I don't know the solution to that, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the solution to that, I don't know, I don't even, I can't even speculate why. I don't know why that is. Well, obviously, you've not let it hold you back, and I'm I'm glad for that. And your your talent certainly speaks for itself. I mean, if anybody just spends four or five seconds listening to you, they're going to see that you know what you're doing. You know, you're you're, you're not you know <laughs> holding back playing chords because you don't want to break a nail. You're going to play that chord. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's play another track from Patient Seven, and, and here's another one that really I, I think plays up the emotion of the character. And, and like you said, you know, for those who haven't seen it, I don't want to give anything away about the scene, but I will say that this piece of music plays very well into what's going on on screen and what's happening with uh, one of the main characters. Uh, the the clip, as you've given it to me, is called three o five two eight eight two o nine, and uh, let's go ahead and play that one now. JD, I am Dr. Marcus. What are you doing? I'm recording you. You have a problem with that? Uh, like I have a choice. Uh. <laughs> okay, can, can you uh, put that away, please? Put, please. Is there a problem? No. <laughs> Oh my god, the charts are right on. You do have a problem with plastic wrap. Can you put that away, please? Look, look, look. I'm wrapping it up, putting it away. <gasps> thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was another great track from Patient 7. That one is uh, available on Amazon, and I'm sure, uh, is it available anywhere else at the moment? 
Um, I want to say, is, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, and um, I guess maybe on Hulu. It's in many platforms out there. I know it was on Hulu at one point. It was on on Netflix, I think, for for a period of time, and I think you could find it pretty much on you know any live streaming site. I would highly recommend this film for a anybody who's a fan of horror or suspense movies. It's a great uh, film. Anybody obviously who's a fan of Michael Ironside, if you haven't seen it already, watch this movie. Uh, but but really, this movie, knowing now what you know about it, how quickly and tight it was shot and put together, uh, it's a great lesson for filmmakers, I think, to see what you can really do if you just buckle down and get to work and stop bitching and moaning about what's not right. Just, you know fist to the stone and, and get it done. Uh, but it's also just a great movie. Obviously, it's a great score. I love it. And I'm not saying that because you're on the show. I, The first time I saw the movie and, and listened to it, I thought, wow, you you really created something special here. But do you find now, because we work so much on the digital side, that it's really hard to get one soundtrack not to sound like another? Do you, you, know, do you mix it a little differently or do you EQ it differently to kind of give each soundtrack its own personality? You know, definitely all the all the music, you know, it starts to sound the same now, and and you know you really have to, um, you know, try really hard to make your own sound really unique. And uh, I think the most important thing is to create, um, uh, in 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 a movie, to create a unified sound, and to have that theme going at all times. To know that okay, this belongs to the same movie. You know, if you listen to one cue and then you listen to another cue from the same movie, you know oh, it's from the same movie, right. and um, and and not from oh, this is this sounds like just like so and so's cue from some other movie, you know, <laughs> yeah. that which you know we, we it, it it happens a lot now these days because everybody you know you, you know whether or not they 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 influence each other or they you know use the same software or you know anything like that but i think i think i think what's more important is to create that that theme for for a film that and you know use consistently use the same instrumentation yeah. in, in one movie and not not just you know be all over the place about it and right and stuff just sound like every other score Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, you think back to bands like Iron Maiden, who every album sounded a little bit different. Each album had its own personality to it, uh, from the way it was recorded to the EQ to the compression. Uh, But when you when you hear a song, if you know the band well enough, you know which album it came from. And now I might have three or four different soundtracks from a film composer on my iPod. And when a piece comes on, I don't know what film it's from because it just sound sonically it sounds like every other film. Right, right. That's 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 the thing with a lot of you know, and new composers. Do you listen to a lot of them, and um, they sound just like everybody else? You know, they sound like each other. Yeah. Because they don't have that unique, or maybe they haven't found it. I have not found my my sound yet. <laughs> You know, I have to say, but, you know, it's it's hard sometimes. You're given a task to complete a movie and it's like, okay, you only have two weeks, you know. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you sound, how, how do you have a unique sound, you know. Right. 
Right. And it's it's a kind of a fine line between having your own style and also writing what the film dictates you write, you know, what, what it says to you. Right, right, exactly. Because, you know, the, the producers or and the directors will have their own, you know, idea of what something should sound like. Right. And, some, you know, sometimes it, it's helpful and sometimes it's, it's, it's not helpful at all because then you are, you know, you're pigeonholed into doing this, you know, they score according to what they want, and then you forget to be creative about it, and and then it makes it more more difficult to come up with something good. You know, absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. Um, I want to play a piece that uh, that you sent over, and, and I'm so glad you sent this one called "Lonely Space." And this is one of those pieces of music that, you know, when you work in film, you have to do a lot of music that's patient because you're really not designed to be heard as much as you are felt. And a lot of times the music needs to be kind of drawn out and a little more patient and not very active. Uh, but there, I, I understand that there's an interesting story that goes along with this one. Yes. Um, so this is, this is one of those experiences when you, you know, work with people in Hollywood, you know, you feel you sometimes you get you get a job and you feel great about it and you know the person you just you just met you know really felt that you were the right person for the project and this one in particular I met this uh, first time director that was working on a movie with a producer friend of mine who you know played this producer pushed me to um, score this film and. You know, it wasn't part of the deal that I that I would be scoring this film, but it was one of those unsaid things, you know, understood, you know, thing where, okay, you're first time director, hire my composer to do your film, and I was really led to believe that I got the job. I traveled to LA because I, at, at at the time I already uh, lived in Las Vegas, so um, I traveled many times, you know to meet with this director and he asked me to create this this he gave me specification, okay, I want this piece of music to be this way for my film. This way, this way, this way. So I spent the time to create um, you know, this is what one of one of the pieces that, that I created. Um and then after it's all said and done, he left me a message on the phone that he would go with somebody else oh. to work on his film. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where, oh, okay. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it happens. It happens. It does. But um, you would think that, uh, you know, people would have the decency to not, not do that, no matter, no matter who they are, you know. Sure. But uh, it's lesson learned, for sure. Especially when, when the producer has recommended you and it's not just like, you know, you're somebody that he ran into at, a, at an event. I mean, this was a direct uh, suggestion from a producer who you, you know, as a director, that's the one person you do have to listen to. Um, you know, it's, it's fine if he, if he just didn't connect with the, the music, but, you know, certainly you don't want to get a reputation and you don't want to start screwing over producers on your first film. Right. Well, needless to say this, this director was never called back for any other job <laughs> by the same producer. So, uh, and, yeah. um, you know, so that's, you know, but, but sometimes, you know, people have their, their, you know, their, their, they're highly confident in that, you know, even though this is their first film, then they will be 
working forever in Hollywood, you know, even after that. And some people have managed to do that. But uh, it's just not good, uh, you know, I mean, to me, it's just not good practice to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's always best to be transparent with people. Sure. So. Well, I, and I think that's the difference, you know, and like we were saying before, people can't be bothered to communicate. You know, people can't be bothered to say, hey, I'm not going to be able to meet this deadline or I've ran into this challenge. And uh, it, we really kind of live in a world right now where people just hide behind the, the types of communication that we have. and. Uh, certainly that's not going to trust, give trust for somebody to hire you for another project. You know, that's for sure. Uh, but let's go ahead and play the yeah. piece because whether he liked it or she liked it or not, it's a beautiful piece of music and, and it deserves to be enjoyed. And so here is Lonely Space. Yeah, I, I just I just love that piece, and that's that's another one that really shows what it takes to be a film composer. It's not about it's not like rock, where rock has to be exciting and dramatic. This this world of film music, a lot of times, just really has to lay back and be patient and do slower builds and and really know how to back up a scene instead of run it, unless. Like you said, you want to do an action movie. In, in an action movie, a lot of times the music does drive the the uh, visual. So it, it really depends yes. on the style of film. But yeah, I, I just love this piece, and I'm so glad that you sent this one over. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned uh, that you played in the Blue Man Group, and obviously I've seen you perform in the Blue Man Group here in Vegas after you guys had moved back from the Monte Carlo to the Luxor. Uh, and, uh, what, what is it like, what is the reality of being in a show like that where it, it changes from time to time, but pretty much you're doing the same thing two times a night, five nights a week. And does it, does it get old? Do you kind of lose your passion for it every once in a while? Or do you, do you find that just the exhilaration of doing it every day is enough to keep it going? Well, that's what, uh, you know, I thought in the beginning, too, you know, what, what am I going to do? We were playing the same music every night, you know, but as it turns out, every, every time you showed up to work, you know, you play with uh, different 
uh, you know, different people every night. They rotate in a, in a you know, certain way so that you don't play with the same people every night. It's the same configuration. Mm-hmm. So and then the the show is very spontaneous, spontaneous in in, in in a sense because you just never know. I mean, even though we have to follow a template and a certain guideline with the show, every night is always different, different experience, different different reaction from the audience, different you know all of those little things that happen during the show creates a completely different experience every night. Now, even though you, you're supposed to play the same thing, but playing with different people, you feed off different people differently. Sure. You know, if you play with certain drummer, you know, one night, and then the next night you, the next night you play with a different drummer, you're going to feed off a different energy. And then everybody comes in to work every day with, you know, of course, a different, you know, frame of mind, different emotion. So it all, you know, brings in, you know, different little different things that give you different experience every night. So, um, you know, it's, it was definitely fun to, to do that, you know. And, you know, playing music is always fun anyway. So. Oh, yeah, that's why we but, do yeah, it. It's never, it's never, yeah, it's, it's never the same experience every night, you know. That's good. I mean, if it can stay fresh, and that certainly is probably one of the shows that would be a, a rarity, um, to get that because a lot of the shows it is the same people exactly the same every night except for your you know your time that you have your backup person come in and play or, or you, you can't make it uh, but the, that particular show because you guys do have so many musicians would allow for that and then I would imagine coupling that with doing things like the shows with the set list or doing film scoring uh, would probably keep it fresh because you are doing other things than just that set every night yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't do Blue Man every night, so it's, uh, you know, it's all these other projects that I'm, I'm keeping myself busy on that, you know, mm-hmm. make it, you know, that makes it really fun for me, you know, with the, with the, with the film score and, you know, you know, I played for different shows and different, you know, one-off projects here and there, you know, just playing around town. It's just um, that that keeps this whole thing interesting, you know. Yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, having like for me, I I typically have three or four projects going at a time. So when I kind of don't feel like working on one or or I feel like I really need to take a step back and think about what I want to do before I do it, I have another one I can jump on and uh, it it definitely helps. Now, you also toured with Chris Angel, is that right? That's correct. He has a, a, a show called The Supernaturalist where where he's still the main guy in the show, but he also has nine other magicians, you know, come on the show and uh um he wanted he wanted a a one band one 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 musician band that does all the music on stage. So he uh, you know, I came to I came to see him in audition and he really liked what I did and then he put me on this uh, I'm where I, I was the only member of the band, and I control Ableton for you know, the majority of the music, and then I played guitar on top of that. And he wanted me to be seen on stage, so I, you know, I was put in the balcony where you know the audience could see me, and I would play solo over over the music that I control while the magicians do their thing on stage. You know, so it was a it was a. It was a really fun, great experience, and uh, 
nerve-wracking at the same time because you cannot make mistakes. Yeah. Because, you know, the musicians rely heavily on the music and on, on you to, you know, pl- you know, play the right cue and then at the same time you have to play solo over the cue that you just controlled. Right, and, and that is part of the distraction. For for the illusion is music, and, and that's one of the tricks that they use, and then they use, obviously, whoever else is on stage to kind of divert attention from whatever they're doing, or they divert from whatever the assistant is doing to set up the illusion. Did you feel kind of like you were, since since you were the only musician on stage and you didn't have that camaraderie with other musicians, did you kind of feel like you were a bit of a spectacle out there? Oh, yes, definitely, because, you know... <clears throat> When, when you play in a band, it's it's great. You, you know, you have other people to feed off of, you know, when you play the music, but this is just you. And then you alone on the balcony, you're seen. And it it, it, it feels pretty, pretty nerve-wracking, pretty bad, for sure. Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah. But, 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 you know, I managed to, to have a lot of fun doing it, even though it's, it's very, uh, very stressful at times. Did you enjoy touring? Um, yes and no. I know. But, you know, I used to love touring a lot. I mean, I, you know, I toured, I toured Europe with a band called, you know, all shred female band called Sam Blue. And, uh, you know, I went on a tour a lot with the Iron Maidens, which, you know, I co-founded the band along with four other girls. Um, that was, that was a lot of fun. I, you know, I like touring, you know, and I did like touring with the, with the Chris Angel show. But at the same time, you know, you, you get that, you know, homesick feeling. Yeah. You know, you felt you felt uprooted a lot, a lot of times. You know, touring has its own, you know, great fun, but at the same time, you know, I'm also a studio rat. I like I like being holed up in my studio. You know. Before we wrap up. Uh, got a couple more pieces of, of yours to play that that I want to share with the audience, and uh, and I really loved. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, the song "Invisible" from the Invisible Chronicles. Um, I thought this was really just beautiful and haunting at the same time. What was your intent with this piece, if you recall? Oh yeah, that that piece I created probably yeah t- about ten years ago. The movie I think was released in two thousand nine. Uh, under Weekend Entertainment. Um, this, this movie is, you know, the, the movie is based on the, the novel by HQL. It's a, you know, it's a very, you know, I wanted to create something emotional because because the main character suffered a lot um, in, in the movie. And um, the, if I recall it correctly, the opening scene, which, uh, this cue was, was intended for. Um, he was doing a lot of ex- experimentation with uh, different uh, um, chemical substance to make himself invisible, and uh, out of out of pain that he experienced in his life. So um, I wanted the the cue to be emotional in that sense. So. I think that's why I've made the opening scene that way. Well, I think it definitely sets a good tone. And if, if that was the intent uh, with that being the story, I would say you nailed it. Because the, uh, the, the feeling that I got from it was exactly that. Yeah, and then there's something, something evil that, that, that's coming about afterwards. That's why I think the music uh, you know, goes into this, this 
ominous feel at the end of it. And then, you know, it kind of cycles back. And then, you know, because the main character, I think he goes back and forth from like, oh, you know, I'm feeling this pain, but also I want revenge. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing when you when you take the film away from film music and you just listen to it on its own, it really the the context of it is is completely lost. But you can still capture what the feeling was meant to be and the kind of thing that might have been going on screen just by the emotion of it. And uh, I think personally, I, I like detaching it from the film and just appreciating the the work of the music on its own. Yeah, it's fun to listen to it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is Invisible by Jojo Draven. Okay, Jojo, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I got one more piece of yours that uh, you sent over that I want to, I do want to include. Uh, and, and let me know if I'm not pronouncing this right. Is it Bagua Mirror? That's correct. I think that's how you said it, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't butcher, butcher your music. Uh, now, this one has a, has a completely different flavor. Uh, this is very, very ethnic, and I really love the blend of the different instruments that you brought into this one. What can you tell us about this piece? Well, this is the a movie uh, that my husband directed this film. Um, he wanted to, you know, do something ethnic, and, you know, he wanted to use a lot of Asian instrumentation. And I probably watched one too many Kung Fu movies when I was little, and I always loved the music. <laughs> In this, so you know, this this was great for me because I actually had the chance to, um, you know, put that to, to good use. You know, my my uh, knowledge on the, the this instrumentation. So um, that that was fun for me to to create this one. 
Yeah, and it's very nice. I I love the music from some of those movies, and I was a big Bruce Lee fan growing up as a martial artist, and uh, I I really loved the score for uh, it was called Return of the Dragon, and it it just had this really interesting oh, yeah. uh, choral quality to it, uh, along with this really nice moving percussion, almost military snare. Uh, but yeah, that was one that definitely sticks out for me. Uh, but let's take a listen to it. This is Bagua Muir. Well, Jojo, I cannot thank you enough for taking some time. I know that you're just getting started on a new film score, so thanks for uh, squeezing this in before it gets too intense. And uh, definitely looking forward to hearing that and looking forward to the next Setlist gig. Guys, if you're in Vegas, keep an eye out for when they're playing. They are great fun to watch. They usually play at the House of Blues, but they've been seen other places too. Like uh, uh, you played at the Brooklyn Bowl. You played at uh, Hard Rock. I think you did a, a show there. And uh, but great fun. The the camaraderie on stage is worth the ticket, even if you don't like the album. It go see it. It's just going to be a good time. But uh, any any advice that you have for young musicians that want to get into doing shows or doing tours? Um, 
Excellent. I like it. Well, thank you, Jojo. Best of luck with the new score and uh, come back and see us again. Thank you so much, Scott. It was a pleasure. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that was a lot of fun, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to JoJo. Uh, she's just one of those people who's got a great talent, but it's also just a very, very sweet and wonderful person to talk to. Uh, again, I'd like to remind everybody to go ahead and leave a star rating, or if you'd like, a written review, especially on iTunes. That would be great. I think you can also do it on Spotify. You can put comments in uh, in different places, too, I think, on, on uh, Podbean. Uh, I am going to do one more special Saturday episode for my Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas 2 album. Then I'll take a break from doing those and then we'll be back with our regularly scheduled Wednesday show. Have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.